0: Hey everybody, David Donaldson here with another episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. And Joe and I today are going to start to focus around the conversation about building a business, right? Running a team or am I building a small brokerage or what kind of elements do I need to build a successful business and how do I grow inside of real estate? And I think it's a pretty broad question and honestly, Joe, having been in the business for 17 years, I remember when I came in, I really was looking for the right, organization or team to join, right? Not just a brokerage, but I really was, I came from corporate America. I had had a a whole bunch of employees and I really didn't want anything to do with it, but I really wanted to be able to come in and plug into a system, right? And that had systems, models, and tools that I could go in. And honestly, I had probably been on four or five different teams because I was attracted to the person Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to find, was that actually the right fit for me or for them? In that journey. And I think that's something that's missed on a lot of people because I think a lot of agents say, okay, it's time for me to grow. I've done X, Y, Z number of, of contracts and units and I'm busy. I need a buyer's agent. Am I wrong? No.
1: Um, I actually think you, you hit a really good point of when people get into real estate, like let's be really clear, mm-hmm. whether you're running a brokerage or a small a team, don't care what size the team is. Or if you're a single agent, I think perception is reality. And when someone perceives they're going into a new opportunity in their next phase of life or whatever it may be, they have to have grounded realities. And let's be very clear that these are you are becoming an independent contractor. Unless you're like a redfin or some type of W-2, for the most part, nine times out of ten, somebody that's in the real estate business is an independent contractor. So you have to make sure that you're very clear at the beginning that this is a partnership and I am a platform, right? My partnership might be train education, it might be lead gen, it might be my database, but you only get access to these value things unless you're plugged into my platform or my network. And we have to be very clear about this because if someone's transitioning, this is where I see a lot of challenge in position, are you in a great position to start a team or start a brokerage or expand, is that do you qualify people when they come in as, I am not your employer, I am your partner. If you choose not to do something, that's your choice. That you're going to have to meet me halfway, you're gonna have to show up to trainings, you're gonna have to do lead gen, you're gonna have to follow certain things that I give you because I am not going to be nine to five over your shoulder telling you exactly what to do because you're an independent contractor. And I think that's the piece for anybody when you're recruiting somebody or you're the leader of it, is that you are not engaging in a W2 employment relationship you're, you're engaging with a contractor. You have to give them certain tools, systems, models, and you have to know what those are, and is the person that you're potentially recruiting gonna tie into those, do they see value in it? And also, which I think is where you were getting at, is do I even have those things? Because if I don't have those things on my platform or network, I can't actually support that person. I have no business even recruiting Or saying, come join me on this journey, because I need to develop certain value propositions in that.
0: So you're spot on. When we look and we talk and and the numbers are out there, you can all look at this and say the the standard solo agent can do about 48 units. Right. Now, I will tell you that most aren't going there. I I,
1: I would uh do. you're going high. I think if you're driven, you can. But right. Really- well,
0: I'm saying that if you look at the rule of thumb, right? No, I, I know that not to be true. That Let's even if we took that down to 24 or 36, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, if you're fully functioning, all right, 48, right? Yeah. At, but at 24, which is, think about that for a minute, it's really only two closings a month, right? And it's probably not because thing ever happens in that sequence, right? It may be three this month, one this month, four that month, zero the next month, right? You're on that roller coaster. And you're like, I'm so busy. I need somebody to go out and work with these buyers. But really what you need is that that first hire, and this is hard for most people, has to be administrative support. It has to be the person that's going to bring true leverage. Leverage is not, hey, go take this buyer out. Yep. Right? Because you don't truly have enough buyers to support bringing somebody in, which leads to animosity from jump. Right? You have to know what you need. And you have to know what that buyer's agent potentially needs, what they need. They need training and they need buyers, right? So what you really need is administrative support to document the systems, to give you the leverage where you're not managing contracts, not managing your social media, not managing appointments, not managing your schedule, right? That has to be that right person, right? And even that second person, again, you may go, all right, great, I have that now. Let me jump and bring a buyer's agent in, Uh -uh, right? That next person, again, is support for your admin, locking down those systems in-house. Now, you can be building the bench and simultaneously be looking for talent. But you have to build that foundation to lock everything down in place so that when you truly get to the point where you're going to bring in a buyer's agent, because what most agents don't realize when they bring a buyer's agent in, a buyer's agent expecting to be the buyer's agent and that lead agent the Rainmaker, now should be the listing agent. But what happens? Mm-hmm. The Rainmaker will still cherry pick business. Yeah, of course. Um, and once uh, you start doing that, you've already started to lose the person you brought in.
1: Resentment comes up. Yeah. I think what's interesting, when you look at, once again, from Florida, so I like to keep things very simple, because uh, otherwise I'm going to overcomplicate myself and I'm not going to actually get the job done. Um, when I When I look at this, when you say, what's the position I need to be in to start a team? Right. And it, we'll start team first because then you can get into massive team and then broker at some point. But I have to say the two value things, and this is actually very, so all of you uh, rainmakers that have uh, worked with me, I, I've told this to your agents, that your buyer agents, I said there's two value propositions that your team should have, leads and operational support. If you don't have leads and you don't have operational support as a rainmaker, you have no business starting a team because that's what you're charging them for. Here's the other thing around profitability, right? So a uh, great mentor of mine, great educator inside of Keller Williams is a guy named um, Gene Rivers, right? If you ever take one of his classes, he'll tell you um, that a four-person team can do 96 transactions. Here's how that breaks down. You as an individual need to be doing 24 units in a 12-month period before you even think about getting a buyer. Uh, sorry, an admin. And that's because, okay, let's use our area in the Mid Atlantic. We're probably going to average right around a ten grand commission. So if I'm doing 24 transactions, right, which is only two a month, I, I believe an individual should really be pushing around 36, right? So I'm making 240,000, and I'm probably in the place now where I want some balance in my life. Where I actually want to run a business. I want leverage mm-hmm. so I can pay a salary to an admin, right? and I fix cost it, right? Here's the thing that most agents don't think about: is cost of sale. This is why you want an admin and you want a licensed admin because then they can go put up boxes. They can answer questions. They can even show a buyer if necessary, right? Well, here's the thing. My cost to them is only 50 grand. If I take my leads and I give it to a buyer agent, most of the teams are going to pay out a 50-50 split. But if they actually start converting those leads, I'm on a variable cost. So every time they grow and take a transaction, I actually increase my cost of sale. Whereas with an admin, I don't. So if I think about this and say 24 transactions as a solo agent, I should do 48 with an admin, right? Then I should do 72 with a, um, with a second admin. Now the second admin can be a, a support mechanism to the, the first admin, but the second admin is really dealing with your listing coordination, your marketing, your social media, and client engagement. Like if you really think about it, your first ops person is structures, systems, models, processes, this is how we do things. Second one is really more the creative type, making sure that the marketing message is getting out. Once you have those two things, think about it. Now, if they say, "Hey, Dave, come join my sales team," well, Joe, why would I join your sales team? Well, hey, you don't have to do any of this operational stuff. As soon as you get the thing done and ratify, like you get a buyer rep or listing agreement, everything goes over to them. Oh, and by the way, you like the the shiny sign and your <laughs> your, so- your social media stuff because like that's gonna make a difference. It will. It make you feel good, but. The point is, is that now I can say, hey, when I charge you 50-50 on this commission, it's because I gave you the lead, I trained you how to do the lead, I created a culture that taught you how to do all these different things, I brought accountability, I coached you, and I mentored you. Not only did I do that, I have operational support for you, and I have a whole marketing department that's doing all this stuff for you, so the only thing you have to do is engage with the client. And as soon as that thing's ratified, it's on. you're on to the next person. Think about how many buyer agents out there that are like, I don't wanna do paperwork, I don't wanna do marketing, I just wanna deal with people. And if here's the other part about retention, that if you're putting somebody in their power zone and you're not making them do all this type of stuff, one, they're gonna be happy, and number two, they're never gonna second question how much they're paying to you because you put them in a power zone and they don't have to do
0: all that other crap. Yeah, they're never gonna wanna leave. And here's the thing, I think, There's a misnomer out there, I know there's a misnomer out there, that all buyer's agents are new agents. And all buyer's agents and new agents on teams are because they're new agents. I've seen many a successful team have very seasoned buyer's agents on their teams because they've given them everything that you just talked about. Absolutely. Absolutely because that's actually where their
1: power comes from. That's where their energy comes from. Not everybody wants to go out there and do all that kind of stuff, but there are people that just want to help service leads. And if you can run a very successful business, because think about this, I ran a, um, a numbers once, right? Is if, you know, a, a typical transaction, if I'm a rainmaker, the only thing I care about is my dollar per hour. I don't care about anything else. And here's why. Say a typical transaction is 40 hours, right? So I'm pulling out the calculator because I'm not that good at Rain Man math. <laughs> but say I've got a $10,000 tr- transaction, right? And I do all the work on a 40 hours on a transaction, right? Roughly. So that breaks down to 250 an hour, right? But here's my question is if I do the lead gen, get a qualified buyer on the line, convert them to an appointment, and I do the first appointment with them, right? And then I get them to sign the buyer rep agreement. Let's say it's four hours of my work. And it's a ten thousand dollar transaction now i give it to you as my my buyer agent so okay we're on a 50 50 split so i divide that by two it's five thousand. Five thousand divided by four hours of work twelve hundred and fifty dollars i want to be in the higher dollar per hour game because yeah. there are people that just want to service them, they want to do any lead gen but if you're a rainmaker your power is the fact that you have this huge network and your ability to close people your ability to negotiate all those objection handling that's actually what made you great, and that's actually what fed the leads into your business, which said, hey, I've got too many leads coming in. I need help.
0: Yeah, the, the leads, right? We're going to keep hearing about the same thing as leads, leads, leads. What you can't do is build a team on leads that you're paying 38% to. There's no profitability in that, right? So you have to have that foundational model in place that the leads are actually coming in because of the business and the relationships that you have. Now, I'm not saying you don't sprinkle in some of that little magic lead dust every here or then to kind of stabilize some things. But if that honest. is it is if that is your business, you're not going to survive. You're not going to last long. And I'll kind of go back to also to that structure earlier about saying when you actually hire somebody or bring people into your team, right? And we're not actually hiring somebody but you have very clear understanding of who's doing what right because here's what happens true story okay buyer's agent on a team okay oh you know what my cousin joe from florida right is going to sell his house right
1: he's moving
0: to philly he's moving to philly absolutely and I, you know, it's my lead. It's, it's me. It's my lead. It's my listing. You know, I'm on this team, but I'm bringing this in. So I want to I I do that. Joe, are you okay with me doing that? Well, a lot of times when I see people saying, yeah, go ahead. You can do that and we'll work out a split. Now on the other side of the ball, if you allow them to do that, what happens to the listing agent that says, you know what? I've got this $2.8 million listing that's coming in. And somebody just called in on that that wants to buy it. And they're pre-qualified and they want to schedule and well, maybe maybe I'll just go do that too. And maybe I can double end this thing and not give that to my buyer side. Because the buyer's aid is so busy doing this listing now. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just going to go ahead and cherry pick this one off the top. Now we've got this snowball effect where everybody's out of bounds on what they're looking to and should be doing. And everything just goes awry. Because then there's bitterness on the buyers going, wait a minute, that just $2.8 million, it was a buy side, great. And you just sold Joe's $100,000 property, you know, on the gator farm down in Florida so he can move to Philly, (laughs) right? But you wanted to go do that. You never know what's going to come back. You have got to stick to what works. And the thing is with this, I think because I don't think, again, I'll look at a lot of rainmakers that are running teams. They're not comfortable enough in the value that they're bringing to their teams to to enough to say, hey, I know this is your cousin, Joe, but we're going to take the listing and run the listing the way that we run the listings on the team.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at your position, right, you have to have enough leads coming in. You have to have those standard operating procedures you're bringing up. So it's not favoritism and one-offs because it does create a snowball effect. So when, when you think about that, then so it's like, okay, great. I got enough leads in. I got the structure, admin, blah, blah, blah. What's my value proposition, right? Because I can't just, never does it work to say, hey, Dave, I got enough leads in here and I got an operational, where you should join my team, right? Because that doesn't work. But there's value propositions. And the, the best thing that I ever thought about uh, around value propositions and what you charge to your buyer or listing agent, right, mm-hmm. is it's in tiers, right? So someone joins a team because they got great environment, right? That's like, ah, Joe's a great guy, Dave's a great guy, Ann's a great girl, like whatever it may be, you you can qualify a 10% cut just because you took up space in my team, right? The next thing that I can charge, another 10%, so 20% is, I got a great environment team and then I provide you some mentorship, blah, 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 right? That I answer your questions on broker things and you know, you call me about this contract, well, i walk you through it. So there's some ment- direct mentorship. Then you get to the next tier, which is a 30% cut on the transaction. And this value proposition is I've got training, education, I've got marketing material for you. I've got um, the admin support and operational stuff. So if you think about it, first step of a value proposition is great culture. Second one is mentorship and direct like support. Third one is really gonna be that training, education, mindset, coaching, if you will, right? Right. So the the fourth one, which goes back to your point about um being structured about expectations around leads and buy side and list sides and what that does, is that now I'm I'm sending appointments. If I send you appointments, the no matter ma- easy button, right? I'm I'm gonna charge you 40%. But there is a there's one more caveat from that. An appointment is like I don't know, Dave called me up. Yo, Doug, go go meet with Dave. I did, But I did nothing. All I had was a relationship with Dave. He called me. I didn't do anything outside of that. But where the real value in the proposition is, if I start sending you qualified leads, that I actually had a call with Dave, qualified him on the phone, and maybe I set an appointment with him and got the buyer rep agreed to sign, and I literally just hand you, and you're ready to run, that's worth 50%, right? And you're, that is the value proposition of what are you providing your team And then how are you charging for it because your time is money? And I think far too often our agents get – they're charging 50 percent, which would justify a qualified lead that I'm literally just showing houses to or I'm about to put the listing sign in the the front yard. Right. But they're really only providing level two, which is like some mentorship and direct answers.
0: Well, right. Or they're buying leads and have to charge 50 percent because 38 percent of that is paying for the lead. 100 percent. I couldn't agree with you more.
1: And I think that's the part about the value proposition. We were talking earlier today around um, logic justifies the decision, but emotions is what's going to get people to think and actually act on it. Right. And in your value proposition, you have to convey because if every team knows I've got to provide leads in operations, so everybody's value proposition can be like, hey, Dave, join my team. I've got leads and I've got operational support. That's not going to influence you to make a decision. But if I say, hey, Dave, we care about the whole person. We have a value proposition that we transform lives, careers, and communities through real estate. And if you join our team, not only are we going to help you provide a a lifestyle for you and your two boys, but we're also going to make sure we develop you on the personal side to be the best father you could possibly be through our coaching models and systems. And I'm also going to make sure that you get time-balanced life because we have this operational support to make sure you're at home having dinner with them. That value proposition that I just sold you on is a hell of a lot more than just leads or operational support. So your curation and value proposition around authenticity and how it impacts you, what's in it for you, the agent, is actually what's going to have you stand
0: out when you're recruiting to your team. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have me. Hire me. I'm in. Right. Tap me in.
1: Luckily, we curate that in our partnership.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, we do. And... In- I've been 17 years now in real estate, and, and I understand a lot of this, but honestly, understanding and execution, mm-hmm. right? Too many people just don't ask the right questions from others that have done it. Mm-hmm. So going in and saying, okay, how do I know? I said, so we just kind of established that, hey, here's how to know when, because your business justifies growing, yep. right? But the next question is like, where do I go find talent? How do I find that buyer's agent? Because I could tell you most times I get hired out of desperation mm-hmm. because I don't want to do it anymore and I am too busy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And then we wonder why we suck at it. Right. right. Um, my bet. So there's no better training than repetition. Right. I-, I would say this to anybody that's looking to join a team is that you're going to have to hire and de-hire <laughs> Hundreds of people before you even get good at the signs of it, and here's the parallel to that, right, Dave? Is how many of our top listing agents have gone on hundreds of listings appointments, and you ask them, "Hey, how'd your first listing appointment go?" And they go, "Well, I crashed and burned. It sucked, <laughs> right?" And then you say, "Well, how's it now?" And they go, "Oh, it's great. It's easy. I know exactly what I'm doing." I go, "How much should you prep for your first listing appointment?" They're like, "I don't know, 24 hours." I practice for like a week, right? All the way up to walk out to the door. Exactly, and then you ask somebody that's been doing listings for years, they go, uh, I mean, I don't know, I do a general search, I find the person on Facebook, and uh, I don't know, I spend like two hours at most, and I'm ready to go. And I go, that's because you had time on task of repetition. So when you're yeah. talking about lead generation, you've gotta put yourself in the arena, you gotta get off the sideline and know it's gonna be uncomfortable, right? Because if you don't get uncomfortable with knowing that I'm gonna to have to interview 30 people to find a good person, just like you said, you're hiring out of desperation. But when I think of, so that's that's one aspect of realizing you gotta get the reps in to be good at it. Yeah. Number two, when you say, where are the sources? So think about this, there was, a, there was a book I was reading about who do you need to become, right? So instead of thinking like, what are my lead sources and let me do Indeed and Monster, and I'm sure those cold leads are so great to go through, is that where do people hang out? Where do people congregate? That would have the behavioral traits that i'm looking for to be an amazing buyer's agent right so we have seen at least and then once again success leaves clues and history repeats itself we have had a ton of success in buyer agents being teachers being in restaurants and hospitality yep. right and you have to think about the nurses too nurses as well because yep. think about the environment the environment in a hospital is frantic you still have to follow policies and procedures and you gotta make sure the person doesn't die right but but they have they have to make solution they have to create solutions right teacher you got 30 kids in there you got to go to the bathroom there's nobody to back you up like what are you going to do right teachers have to make decisions on the fly because they've got limited resources so they got to make things work when you look at restaurants and hospitalities there's a million things going on in the kitchen there's a million things going on in the front of house right so they've got to figure out how to do all that while maintaining a great relationship with the person that's in front of them, right? So you're thinking about all these customer-facing roles. I just brought up, you know, teachers and nurses.
0: No, what out. do those all have in common? They're all a relationship-based <laughs> 100%. business.
1: 100%. So if you're asking me where would I start with lead gen, I would literally, every time there was a customer, store. I mean, shoot, you go to the grocery store. It's the person, person like when I'm checking out, what about the bank? Because you know those people are only making $12 to $15 an hour. So if you gave them opportunity to have infinite amounts of money and all they had to do was follow up with leads, service them and and do what you always do as a customer service. Like, it's great. So I look at lead gen and say, based on the behavioral style I'm looking for and the traits of those people, where do they hang out? Who do they hang out with? Because if you've got a great buyer's agent, they're probably going to hang out, like say on another team somewhere. This is why referrals are so important for who you're looking to hire. Is honestly, if you've got great traits as a buyer agent, you probably have similar people in your circle cause we like to hang around people that are like us, right? So that's where the power of referral comes from. So if I'm lead Jenny, I'm going to places that can, I can make somebody more money, I can give them power back and they're gonna have a behavioral trait that's similar to that thing. And then I'm just gonna make sure that when I talk to them, you actually brought up a great point, ask better questions. Like I'm not coming in on my first appointment to meet with you and sell you on why you should be a buyer agent. I'm trying to understand what are your goals What's your lifestyle like? What are your income things? What do you want in five years? And if I can understand what you want, and I truly believe as a leader I can deliver on that, then I'm going to make the offer. But if you come out with left field stuff I can't deliver on, I have to have integrity and say, you know what, Dave, you're a great guy, but it's not going to work on my team. And that goes back to the expectations of what you want your team to be at the beginning.
0: And you have to know that you're in for that too, right? Like you have to recognize as a business owner, Now, I, I think there, there's there's a lot of truth in understanding that the person you're bringing aboard is never going to be as passionate about your business because it's your business. But if you actually have the passion about their success, they will be passionate about their success and your business. right? Their success and will always trump yours. It's in it for them. but it's got to be in it for them. And you have to be emotionally invested first in them. So you just, you have to give a shit. I would agree. Which
1: I think leads in the next one is retention. Yeah. So you, so you just, you got to a place in sales that said, Hey, I got enough lead flow. And I got the operational support. I can run a team. I've defined what my value proposition that makes me unique, but also gives value to my team. That's not just financial. Right. Yeah. We just talked about where do you find these people? So I just did those three things. Now I got them on my team. What do I do to retain them?
0: All those things that you promised you were going to do from the beginning and more. <laughs> sure, well, yeah, yeah. right. Well, I mean, well, so let's, let's be real. Wait, Retention starts on day one, does it not? Right. If if I mean you can have look, we've all we could actually lead a great interview and we've all right and we can kind of perform well in an interview. It's what happens after. Yeah. Right? You would call it 30, 60, nine days, but what what are you meeting the expectations? You're immediately gonna know. Like you all of a sudden like, Oh, I made a terrible mistake. Or, wow, this is everything I thought it would be. And they are going to generate leads and close just because, man, Joe set the tables and everything Joe told me was true. Here are these leads. Not going to go close those leads. Here's this buyer's agent. They're awesome. They're managing my transactions, right? I now have time to do three times as much work than I was doing what I was doing on all my own. Here's the power
1: of what you just brought up is that if you create such an environment that you create raving fans, Mm -hmm. you don't have to recruit and lead gen for people on your team because your buyer agents and your listing agents and your admin are going to be saying that you have no idea what it's like to work with Dave. The environment is insane. It's never been something I've ever worked in before. The validation of that is going to funnel people to you to say, Hey, well, if you're saying so great and my life kind of sucks, I want to, I want to, I want to dip my toe in that pool, right? And if you think about retention, when I think about retention, I think about give a damn and don't be creepy, right? You you can can get through a lot of things in life by not being creepy and giving a damn, right? Um, To Joe's goals in life, don't be creepy and give a damn. Um, (laughs) But when I look at retention – There's a book called The Five Love Languages and take the personal side out of it, but you look at how people feel appreciated, right? It's words, the top two are, I think it's words of affirmation, but number two is quality time. I always mess up the first one, but I know what number two is, it's quality time. And when you look at retention, half of retention is just showing up and talking to the person. That if you maintain a relationship with your top people and you show them, hey, I care about your personal, your professional goals, I care about your growth. I challenge you, right? Because no one actually, top of people don't ever want to be just placated. They know where their gaps are. So as a great leader, you got to challenge them and be like, I, I'm actually pressing on you because I want you to be better because I know you're capable of doing so. And if you think about retention as how do I develop the person and lead with their wants first, they're going to actually fulfill the secondary wants, which is what the business needs in order to grow. And I think that's where most agents and most leaders mess up is they go, I got a highly talented person. Like I gave them this, opportunity I give them this this platform I give them this whatever it's their responsibility to do it well most people don't see it and they need to be coached and trained and they need to see the vision and all that kind of stuff so if you just yeah. spend time with people more often than not you'll retain them because you're able to handle the challenges the the relationship hiccups whatever because you're talking to them every week right and I think that's actually the fastest way to retain someone. you know
0: and I'll, I'll take that a step further and say you have to listen to their answers, right? It's what does it matter if I'm asking you questions and I'm not actually hearing you? Yeah. Right. So th- there, there's two parts to that, right? I can ask all the questions in the world, but if I don't actually hear your answers, then it doesn't matter what I asked. Yeah. So you have to ask, right? You have to digest. You what they call the act kind of active listening, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to understand what what they said. And, and honestly, if you don't care enough, then don't ask those questions.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think it's, it's, um, it's that simple, right? I think if
0: you give is them. It? I think it is. <laughs> well, I'm does. saying, it, yes, it, it is. And we tend to make things hard. Mm-hmm. I, I think we do. And I
1: think that um, when you think about, you know, there, there's this, always this push and pull of the business goals and the person. Right. And I think in retention is that people are looking to be supported in a fun environment, right? Because the two things in leadership you gotta remember is that I can only control the environment, I can control the conversations I have with you. Outside of that, I can't do anything else. Right. Right. I'm disempowered to do anything else. Because I can't force you to I can bring you to water, I can't get you to drink. So if I can create an amazing environment that you know you're supported in, you're fun, we joke around, we've got a great relationship. And then the conversations I have are ones that care about you, care about your performance and care about whatever else is important to you. Now you know I've built a trust level with you that's authentic and you know where my come from is. So I can say things that are harder than anything anybody else has ever said to you and they're gonna land with a way of Joe actually cares. And here's the benefit. Far too often in business, we disconnect the person's performance, the job performance, and how it facilitates what they want in life. And if we as leaders can figure out that we can say to somebody, hey, we're pushing you on this, because this is who you're gonna become, and this is what it's gonna do for you and your family. And the byproduct is this. So if you know that, then you can also tie back that when the company's profit performance is this, Dave's going to be this person with his kids, with this type of outcome, and I've become this other person. So it actually has to be a symbiotic relationship of as the business grows, I grow. As I grow, the business grows. And far too often, people don't see the connection of that relationship, and that's what's the disconnect about when someone pushes about a performance metric, because the leader has failed to communicate that when we get to this performance metric, this is who you become. And I think that's the power of retention inside of a business and not just some other like fly-by-night company.
0: Yeah, and I think you, as we start to wrap up for today, and you look at the opportunities inside of real estate and recognize at its core, we're all, every one of us that's a licensed real estate agent is an individual business owner. Now, what that means to us individually means completely radically different things, right? I'm an independent business owner, I'm responsible to myself. I may or may not want to build a bigger business to where I have direct reports. But at the same time, I may not want to be that business owner and I want somebody else to do all of the bigger work, but I know that I can do more. And to do that, I have to go partner up or join a team or an organization that allows me to do that. So I think there's mindset to understanding that there are people out there looking for the right relationship in their world. And are you that person to help them get there? Mike
1: drop. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Entrepreneurial Impact with Dave and Joe. Appreciate your following. And if you haven't followed us before, please click that follow and listen to us every week. And uh, have a great, strong week uh, for everybody listening. Bye, everybody.